This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. I want to welcome you to this afternoon, and we are in the third part of Reach the World Next Door. We've been talking about the depth of the cross. I feel like I'm echoing a bit. I don't know if I just need to move it away. Is that better? Don't feel like I'm shouting? Okay. This morning we looked at the power of the cross of Jesus. What a real experience with a huge, multifaceted, incredible impact that Jesus has made through that. How that fits different parts of Buddhists, Hindus, Muslim, Jews, postmodern people. Those things, how it, if we share certain aspects, there are certain parts of the cross that will really appeal to others. And then the second time we looked at a four-step method of how to share the gospel with people of any background. So if you didn't get to hear those two this morning, there are handouts on the back there on the, on the seat. One looks a little different than this morning's because it's a colored copy, and you're welcome to pick those up and listen to it later. Um, but we're going to be talking this afternoon about refugees, God's plan, uh, migration strategy for reaching all nations of the world, and see how we can actively be involved. So I want to pause and pray with you. We want God to be able to speak whatever it is he's trying to say. So maybe what D. Casper says or what I say or what one of you speaks up and shares or maybe the Holy Spirit just speaking specifically, deliberately, what he knows you need as you prepare to serve him better. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are really, really thankful that we have the privilege of knowing you of living in safety, of having a knowledge of your plan for our lives and many, many, many things that millions around the world do not have. And today, as we take time to come close to your heart in relation to refugees and the opportunities that are around us, I ask that you would be the one who speaks, that you would give us a new heart, a fresh heart, to feel what you feel, to understand what you think about, what, what you want your people to be about, and that we would just pick it up and serve and love like Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, in Jesus' name, amen. I was two quarters away from finishing college, and my wife was graduating. On a Friday night in June, Judy Aiken, who we had just heard about and met a little bit, walked up to us and said, we need somebody in the refugee camps right now. Will you go? It just totally shocked us, totally took us by surprise. For about six months before that, we'd been thinking about missions. I had never been really excited or interested in going overseas. And then um, suddenly we realized there was an opportunity and a huge, huge need in the refugee camps. And so we started talking. Should we go? Um, They were only going to be open for another six months, and then they would be closed. All the people would be going back to Cambodia Thailand was ready to get them out of there. And so we had a short opportunity in which we could minister to the people that were there. About 300 Seventh-day Adventists were still in the camps. Thousands had been baptized through the late 70s and and 80s during the war and right after the war in Cambodia where two to three million people had been massacred or starved to death. So as we heard about it and found out about it, we thought, We have to go. This is too exciting, too special of an opportunity. No church at all in Cambodia. 
and yet 300 Seventh-day Adventists who were going to be scattered throughout the country. So we decided to go, and by September we were there and went in for our first experience. As we drove the hour and a half to the place uh, where we would go in, we had our papers that we would be allowed to enter with, and we saw long, long fences of barbed wire surrounding a huge area that at its height held about 100,000 people. And their homes were just tiny, like this size, six or seven people living in it, made out of bamboo. We'd see them in huge lines waiting to receive their bag of turnips, their bag of rice, their bottle of soy sauce, their supplies for the next week or two, till whenever supplies would come again. And we went into the little refugee church that had been built up. There were actually eight different churches that developed there through the church's outreach and care and began to teach them English and talk with people about what it was going to be like when they went back to their country and how they could share the gospel. Cambodia, up to that time, had basically not responded to the gospel. Very, very little. There had been Seventh-day Adventists working it from like the 1920s on, different little bits. But people just were satisfied. Buddhism was a good religion. It had high morality in that religion. And it's just what everybody in the country did, including the king. So nothing had really happened until the war hit and shook their worldview incredibly until they said, Buddhism doesn't make sense to us. How could our whole country be so bad that we are all receiving such horrible karma that three million of us would have to suffer like this and die? And their, their heart and mind opened up to say, there must be something else out there. And look, it's the Christians that have come to the camps that are helping us. They are the ones that seem to really be caring during this time. And they became um, Christians by the thousands. Many moved to the United States, were, were uh, received here as refugees and immigrants. And there were certain ones that were there ready to receive them, the Catholics, the Baptists, Christian Mission Alliance were especially right there to help them get, a, get adjusted and to care for them. Unfortunately, at that time, most of the Seventh-day Adventist churches were not watching or thinking or looking. Uh, they, in fact, I know of one couple who went to a Seventh-day Adventist church in the south, and they walked into the church so excited to find a Seventh-day Adventist church um, and the people just basically ignored them. In fact, one of them suggested there was another church across the town that they might find a better place, that they might enjoy better than their church. There just wasn't a recognition that God was sending these people and that we were to care for them. I'll share with you a story later that's the opposite of that, of what's happened more recently in the last seven years and how God is moving through people in different places, as well as Dee will share some, um, some stories of, active things that can be done to help, and we'll be exploring and discovering this together, what we can do in our communities to touch these people. But we want to start with a refugee simulation program. Do you want to explain what to do? Sure. So you guys have a blank piece of paper. We didn't forget to print anything or run out of ink. It's intentional. You'll need a writing utensil and to write the things that are on this board here on the four corners of it. Write down... Um, and number the following things, four activities that you enjoy in that order that you know, like priority, okay? So the things that you enjoy for the first one, four of those, four things that you're thankful for, four people that are important to you, 
and four roles that you currently hold in your life. You'll need to have those on your piece of paper because they're really important for the activity we're doing now. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Plenty of water. Anybody need some water? Thank you, Jake. <laughs> Appreciate that. So if you can take just a brief moment, fill in those things on your sheet okay. because this will define the whole activity, but it's right. really, really helpful. Uh, again, four activities that you enjoy, four things that you're thankful for, four people that are important to you, and mm -hmm. four roles that you currently hold in your life. Do you know where, where the blank pages? Are they in the back there? Uh, Shirley's got them. Yeah, okay, Shirley so them. Shirley, you're passing them out as people come in. Thank yeah. you. Okay, so like A would be one, two, three, four, things you like to do. Doesn't have to be in that order necessarily. B, another corner, four things you're thankful for, one, two, three, four. C, four people that are important to you. And if you are listening to this later, for anybody who's listening later, take out a piece of paper and do it, or it won't have the same impact um, as just listening. And number D is, letter D, four roles that you are currently holding in your life. It could be students, um, might be brother, father, son, might be worker, church member, different things, roles that you actually play and do. Thank you. Glad to have that good solid row there. Did you get, all, get a piece of paper? Yeah, she got it. Okay. So just look at what's up here and write that because in just a half a moment we're going to start doing something with that. Give us a few more moments. Does anybody need a pen? Okay. There you go. I think I've got another one. Okay. Got another pen for somebody back there. We hear about the refugee crisis all the time, especially this last year. We have seen such huge migrations of people out of Syria. It's in the news constantly. The question is enormous about what should be done, what should governments do, what should they not do. Um, but this activity can help us to think a little more closely. So if you have those there now, you getting there? Some of you? Most of you? Okay. Okay, are you ready? No? Okay. Raise your hands if you need more time. Okay, we'll hang on another minute here, or two. Right. If you're still working on it, that's fine. You can keep writing. You may not want to write when you see what happens here. <laughs> but let's take, take your pen now. 
And on your list, I want you to choose one item in each category that you would be willing to part with first. And then just cross it out. Okay? Does that make sense? Take a look at each of the categories, A, B, C, and D, and choose one to cross it out. I'm going to go back there in case anybody needs to look at it. Which would you choose if you had to? Not because you want to, but if you had to give up one of those activities you enjoy, one of those people that are so important to you, one of those things you're thankful for, one of those roles that you have. Just go for it, cross one out. One in each of the four corners. What's that? So hard to do. Okay, but at least you get to make the choice. Okay. You have to move quick. The reason is that this is a refugee simulation. I have friends who left Myanmar to go to the refugee camps. They fled as their village was being burned down, as guns were being fired, as soldiers were coming through, trying to hide. And you have to make a decision. Which will I do? Will I run to the school to pick up my 12-year-old boy and risk getting shot while I'm carrying my little daughter in my arms? Or will I leave him there as I quickly run out to make sure that I and my little child are safe? What will I pick up as I go out the door? I can't carry everything. So cross them out. One, two, three, four. One of them. Okay? All right. If you haven't yet, then it's probably too late. The next one. <clears throat> I want you to turn to somebody next to you and be close enough. If you're not right next to each other, find each other. And take your pen and go into each of the four categories of the other person's paper and cross one more thing off. Okay, find somebody, if you don't have somebody near there, you are looking at those four areas, the different roles, the different activities. And you cannot haggle with them. Yes. Yes, so you are taking the other person's paper and you're crossing out one thing from each of the quadrants. They don't have a say in it. They can't see what you're doing, but you're crossing out one of those things from each of the four corners on their paper. And you'll need to move quickly. You don't even have to read them or look at them. You can just cross them off if you want. <laughs> All right, if you haven't, haven't done it yet, just cross, 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 and you're done. All right, thank you. This is the reality, again, for my friends there. Some things they could choose on their own, what they had to leave behind and do and be. Many other things were done to them. A soldier takes away something from you. You lose 
your life. You lose different things that just, it is done to you. You have no control over it because someone else is marching through your life. You suddenly have no more house. You suddenly are apart from your brother. You never see your father again. That role is gone. Is it hitting you? What's on your paper? It's there. All right, the next step. Rows. It's beginning Num- here. Number first, first yeah. five rows. We're right here, one, two, three, four, and five. Please go through if you see anything that is odd, and also the back three rows. The back three rows, that would include all three to there. If you have any odd numbers, cross them out. If you label these one, two, three, four, so your first one and your third one, cross them out also. Just find the first one. If it's not crossed out yet, cross it out. If the third one's not crossed out, cross it out. But you here in the middle, you're okay. One, two, three, four, five, you're fine. You don't need to do anything. Right here, you're okay. You can just leave it. Can you go around with your microphone? I'm going to ask them how they felt. Carry your microphone. All right, now we need a few volunteers to communicate what this caused you to think. Um, How did you feel when you had to actually give up some of these things on your list? What was it that went through your mind? What emotions were you feeling in the midst of this process? Do we have any volunteers that like to share to kind of start to recognize? One right behind you there, Dee. Oh, sorry. I've lost my voice. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think, like, everything else was easy except for the family part because, like, I put all my family members for the people who are important to me. And everything else, I was like, you know what, I can give up these activities, at least I'm alive. Or I can give up these other things. I can give up whatever else is in my life. But my family, that's like, means everything to me. And I can't imagine leaving any of them behind. So, yeah, I was kind of... How about some others? Any other volunteers that kind of mentioned... We just were with somebody who hasn't seen his own child who's been born three years ago. He's in America here, his wife and children have not been able to come yet. So he's waiting to see his own baby for the first time. Separation, even if it's not death, suddenly out of your life. Any other? Any other volunteers who want to communicate? Yes, ma'am. I didn't get a chance to switch with anybody, but when we had to just randomly just cross out the odd ones I tears just start forming in my eyes because I was just thinking like I can't do that I can't give that up makes it very real how, how did you feel when the middle row the middle few rows were fine while you had to cross out up in the front and up in the back, extra things. Anybody? I'm not sure what the noise is. Either of us are moving. <laughs> okay, mm. feeling resentful. Why are they so lucky? And we have so much. Do you think that's a real feeling for many? Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Why is this happening to us? In Cambodia especially, there was that huge sense. What's, what is so bad about our country that this should happen to our country and not anywhere else? 
I mean, almost a third of Cambodia was wiped out during the war. What was going on there? And I'm sure in Syria, many of the similar feelings. So, yeah. so, so that gives us a little bit of the feel. We've been to the refugee camps. We've seen them also on the border with, with Thailand and Myanmar. And to be able to understand what people are going through, um, the best way is not what we have just done. Ours has been a very simple and a very um, quick and hurried thing. Not easy to do in a big group like this. Much easier in a group of maybe seven or eight. The first time we did this, it was in my wife's parents' home at Christmas time. And we were considering, what is it like for others to live? And we were right there where I could tear up people's papers and swipe something from this group and leave that one alone. And you can just feel, you can feel the pain, what is very real for many, many people. Are you aware of about how many um, are, is this the new one? Can you go to the, the new one that we transferred? This one? Is it? Okay. Okay, just let me go to the top there for a moment. The very, okay. Um, in 2013, in the United States, we welcomed 69,930 refugees. Canada received 23,000, which is a huge number proportioned to the population of Canada. This is happening every year, at least 70,000. The people from every state get together once a year and say, we're open to receiving this many thousand this year in Indianapolis or whatever city that they choose or just the state in general. And then the government decides where the 70,000 will go. And that's where they will end up, at least for the first three months. If they move before the first three months, they do not have the, the money coming to them. So they will be there, and then after that, it depends. So of the million or so people coming in every year through legal immigration, this is the portion that are refugees. And they are so open. My friend Sam Nalu, who works also with ASAP Ministries, is in Indianapolis. He works and ministers among them, and he said to me, they are so open during those first five months because they're here, they don't speak the language, they're freezing cold coming from a tropical country, they're not aware how to use the bank, how to use the public transportation system, what to do to get aid after those first three months of government assistance, and they're supposed to be into a job within that very short time and begin even paying back the plane ticket that got them here. So their life is not easy. It is very tough with a huge, huge adaptation. So just with that little bit of knowledge, we won't go on much longer because we want to take time to now work with you and talk with you about what can we do. But let's look just for a moment more to really capture what this has to do with finishing the Great Commission. Bhutan is a country that I have thought about a lot. I've never been able to go there. prayed for it because it was one of those Buddhist countries that was completely unreached while I was working with the Buddhist Study Center in Thailand. 753,000, not even a million people in that country. But 73 unreached people groups. That means go over this mountain, beautiful, high, tall, holy mountains people aren't supposed to climb on, and someone speaks another language. Go over the next mountain, and it's a different language. So these are people who only 0.3% are Christian. 86% Buddhists quite intolerant of evangelism. You cannot get a missionary visa, and it's a lot of money just to go as a tourist. So how do you go? How do we see that change? Well, through the persecution and various things that went on, a whole bunch of people fled 
from there about 20 years ago. They were in refugee camps in India and Nepal, and then over the last 10 years, 10%, 60,000 people moved to the United States from Bhutan. So I'm walking down the halls in Target, and I see this tall man, shaved head, orange robe, and I think to myself, maybe he's Bhutanese. And sure enough, when I introduced myself to him and talked with him, he was. God has brought them here that they might be reached. The same is true with Somalia. It's the second most dangerous country in the entire world for Christians, right after North Korea. And yet, of those 11 million people in 17 unreached groups, 99.6% of them are Muslim. So um, a million of them have to be given food just in order to survive. Can you imagine being a missionary there, trying to go, trying to find some way? And yet, God has brought them here. 85,700 Somalis now have religious freedom in America, but how many Christians have offered them a choice to know and follow Jesus? Tomorrow, when you go out door to door, you will most likely run into some Somalis because there are several thousand of them living here in Louisville. So you can take My Language, My Life card that has the Jesus film in Somali and hand it to them and talk with them and introduce them because the reality is that 40% of all Muslims in America have no Christian friend. And 70% of Buddhist, Hindu, um, Chinese religious background have no friends that are Christians. What are we going to do? How can we be a part of God's great um, evangelistic thrust that he has told us that this is his special plan? We shared this one earlier, evangelism, page 570. This is his way of sending the message into the whole world because as we reach them, those who speak Somali, those who speak Nepali or Zonga from Bhutan, they can go back or they can get on their phone, the internet, and share with their relatives who are back in their country. Isn't that exciting? It's starting to click more and more in all of our minds and our hearts. But we want to take a few minutes now to just ask you, as you have begun to stir and to feel and to think about these things, what can we do to help? What can we do to make a difference? So just want to open it up. Again, we can take, um, try with, with, hopefully it won't be too noisy. And just um, given the fact now that most likely back in your town, you have refugees there that if you Google refugee resettlement, there's probably an organization reaching out to them who can teach you more. But just thinking about what it's like for them, what could you go home and get your church and your family to do? Let's brainstorm together. Raise your hand, give time for him to get to you, and um, let's just think about it. So we've gone through the experience of what they're going through. We've felt it a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. I just spent a year in Germany, and there's lots of um, refugees over there. And I spent a weekend with a, a German, and he was saying that actually what people think the refugees need isn't actually what they need. For instance, a lot of people give them clothes, but that's not actually what they need. They need bikes in order to, because they can't pay for the transportation. So I guess, like, get to know their specific needs and try to meet those. And another thing that I thought was a really good idea is they Could match you hold up, it a little closer, please? They match up families with refugee families. So it's like building bonds between two different cultures. And then when these refugees find a family in the German culture that they can relate with, that is 
less, there's less ground for misconceptions, for misunderstandings. So that, that builds trust. I think that's important. That's huge. Thank you. Thank so family reaching out to family, actually getting to know each other to get past what we think they need and what they think they need, which may not either be fully accurate, but together they get closer. That's very helpful. Thank you. Super good points. Thank you. Excellent. Someone else. Other thoughts. Your idea is likely to be helpful, so don't hesitate. Stop being afraid of all these people, because I know a lot of people back home, they are afraid of all these people. They think that they're going to do something. So I think, like, get a basic understanding of all these world religions so that you know that they're not going to go kill you or anything like that. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Dee, would you share what the man on the plane said to you when you asked yes. him, what should I tell those that I'm teaching about how to yeah. reach out? I was on a plane getting ready to go to Arise in 2012 to teach on the topic of international outreach and multicultural outreach. And the guy beside me had an iPod Touch that had Arabic font on it. And I thought, I was working at an interpretation agency at the time, and we had Arabic <clears throat> interpreters. And so I said, hey, um, I noticed that you have Arabic here. I'm assuming you know, you're Arabic speaking. He said, yes. And I gave him the Muslim greeting, assalamu alaikum. And I said, I, I just want you to know, first and foremost, that I don't believe the stuff that's being fed through the media and through most churches about Muslims. In fact, I want to apologize on behalf of Christianity and the American media. I don't buy into that. I think you're actually, it's, it's a huge misconception of what's going on with your religion, and it frustrates me to see that. And I want you to know that I don't feel that way. And I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I actually don't eat pork. I don't drink alcohol. I believe in modesty. And I gave him all these things we had in common one with another. And I said, look, I'm actually flying to Oregon to teach on the topic of befriending and ministering to people uh, just like you. W what would you have me share with them there? And you know what his response was? We're people too. We're people. And... We need to understand that even if all that foolishness happened to be true, someone's going to have to get close enough to them to share the gospel with them. Something still has to be done, but they're people too. And it just, it got right to my heart. I, I nearly cried right in front of them just for that very reason. And we need to understand that. And what he said is exactly right, that we're, we're painting a picture of people in our own minds that isn't actually true, and it keeps us from being a blessing to them on God's behalf. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Someone else, another idea of what you could tangibly do to help people. Just think to your mind, if that was me, I had just arrived here, I couldn't speak the language, I'm missing my country, I'm scared, I'm unsure, I got to get a job, what would you hope someone would do for you? Don't be shy now. You were just refugees that lost all your stuff. <laughs> what would you be wanting someone to do for you? What are some volunteers? Any thoughts? Yes. Have them help me provide um, with provision of resources that would be beneficial to me. For example, help me to learn the language. Maybe I have no experience with technology in my past. Teach me how to use computers. Give me some kind of lesson, some kind of skill that I might be able to be a functioning part of the society here in, in this, wow. this country. That's, That's fantastic. Cool. Really good. Yeah. <clears throat> so empower you to help yourself. Not just give you things, bring food to you, but actually help you to access resources to begin to help yourself. That's very, very good. Do we have one more? A few more. Yes, ma'am. 
And then maybe another good thing would be provide an opportunity to show the positive aspects of the culture, as well as, you know, getting to know practical things like how to get around, how to navigate the bus system, um, how to find foods from back home. Um, maybe organize cooking classes where they can demonstrate, you know, their, their uh, diet. Um, maybe even sewing classes to learn practical things. Because this may be things that they may do at home, but, you know, it's, it's those everyday mundane things we don't, I guess, think about until you're not doing it anymore. And when you're in a new place, that doesn't mean you stop cooking or you stop sewing or you stop, you know, grocery shopping or showing pictures of your family. So making it like normalcy for them in their new place. That's fantastic. There are, when I think of the group that has come from Myanmar, um, Corinne, refugees, we had one of them come forward and, and share with us in the very first session this morning. And Many of them are fantastic farmers, very capable. And then suddenly they're in, I think, Indianapolis, which is near here, of these huge apartment complexes where they're all just packed in. You know, a bunch of people living in, in one small apartment together, no ability to do any farming anymore. And our friend in New York, um, she decided, even though she didn't have space for them to grow a garden in her backyard, she began contacting neighbors and saying to them, would you be willing to open up your backyard for a Korean refugee to plant a garden? Well, is it safe? Yeah, it's safe. It's fine. They'll come around the backside. You can see, and I bet they'll even share some of their vegetables with you, which, of course, they did. Uh, what, a, what a beautiful gift to them to give them some of the things from back home here that they could do, that they could feel worth. You know, their, their children are quickly learning English, but they're not. They're struggling to get a job. They can't communicate as they'd like to. Here's something they can do that gives dignity and encourages them. Anyone else? Another idea or thought back there? Helping them learn English. Yeah, Helping said, them learn English. Yeah. Okay, another one back here. Shirley, please share with us a little bit what you've been doing. She's in Battle yes. Creek of the Dime Tabernacle Church history. Number one, smile. A big smile. It goes cross cultures and it gives encouragement like nothing else can. It also says, I accept you, I see you as a person. It's key number one. Uh, check your group out. If you have groups from Myanmar, except for the Koreans, because their language is different, except that they, many of them are Adventists or Baptists, that's a real advantage. Because even if you don't speak the language, and I can remember about four words and I'm stuck. But I have learned to sing in their language. We sing their hymns and the Baptists wrote, transliterated their language using our alphabet. So that's been a real advantage for me to be able to speak their language, I mean to sing their language and then we sing the hymns in English and they're learning English that way. Sabbath school songs are a tremendous way to teach English, using music, because they come from a, a lot of these refugees come from a verbal language, and that's what they're used to, not written. And so using music is a tremendous way to reach out to them. And Scott, about the, the um, gardens, mm -hmm. we're also um, working on getting small kitchen gardens that they can have in their really? kitchens so that they can have an extended growing season. And that's excellent. So little kitchen gardens, hydroponics, different things, helping them have something that they can do. 
Others have helped them with their handicrafts to be able to market some of the beautiful, incredible embroidery and, and different works that they do to find a place that would be happy instead of bringing them over from Thailand, actually making them right here and using them. It's, it's really special. She's, uh, Shirley Finneman is just about an hour, hour and 15 minutes north of where I live. And I've been able to go up and see the group worshiping in their Sabbath school room, a uh, different spot, a place there in their church at a different time than others might be using it. Um, the children are down in the Sabbath schools learning English right next to the American children. And what, what is going, she just looked around and said, wait a minute, we have these people in our community and there's a few coming to church. Let's, let's make them welcome. Let's get into their homes. Let's go see them. And what I mentioned at the beginning was that we did not do a good job receiving the Cambodians. But the, the Burmese, the Karen, the ones who've come over from Myanmar, there have been those who are watching for them and welcoming them, and it's exciting to see. We'll tell you more if we still have time. You want to go ahead? Yeah. I'm sure there are many more ideas that we can pull together. If we have time at the end, we'll come back to that, because it's as we stir each other's minds and hear ideas that we can envision going back and making a difference for them. And there are some things that Scott and I have seen and have done ourselves or have been affiliated with ministries that have done things that have been super practical, service-minded, Isaiah 58 caliber things that are great ways that are entering wedges into these people's lives. How many people in this room speak more than one language right now? How many people? Oh, dear. Wow. Um, Amen. Praise God. I'll tell you why praise God here in just a moment. So when I was working with this interpretation agency, we had interpreters in eight different languages, and I was realizing... I need to know more about the concept of language. Something just didn't quite jive with me from what I was seeing, and it certainly has to be more than what I'm seeing. And when I started to study out, what I realized was in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1, it mentions the fact that in that time there was only one language on the earth. Now, in Genesis chapter 11, you have now this, this movement by a city called Babel. Uh, it's also the root of Babylon. This movement by a city called Babel, who refused to believe the promise of God that he wouldn't destroy the earth again through a flood, they tried to save themselves. They didn't believe the promise of God and were trying to basically ascend to heaven themselves by storm. They begin this and God says, if these people are allowed to continue in this current form, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And so then he says, come let us go down there and confound their language and scatter them over the face of the earth. That's the plurality of the Godhead. Each member of the Godhead is involved in scattering the people across the earth. Now, my first cursory reading of that text was that it almost sounded like God was afraid or something. But I realized that it's God in his mercy that he did this. God's intention for dispersing the people in Genesis chapter 11 was to preserve the human race. Because right after this, in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham that sounds very, or Abram that's very much like the promise he made to Eve that through her seed, the world would be blessed, right? This is the promise of the seed in Genesis chapter 3. Same thing happens in Abraham's time. God, what he did was preserve the human race by dispersing them to keep them from unifying for evil purposes so that the seed of Eve could still be preserved until the coming of the Messiah. When Jesus comes in John chapter 1, and also we'll cover something else in just a moment, in John chapter 1 it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came here. The Lord came down again. It was the three in Genesis 11. Jesus comes down and dies for the sins of dispersed humanity. Now that's super good news, but he goes even further and tells his disciples that they are to go, therefore, into all the nations 
and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gave them a commission to go and share with the world. That's really good, but there's a problem. It's a logistical problem. How are 12 Galileans, how are 12 people from Judea, how are they going to be able to share with people in the Roman provinces that don't speak the same language? Jesus gave a commission, but how is this actually going to be achieved? Well, the Lord comes down again. It happens in Acts chapter 2 with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we see this amazing miracle that the very time whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out upon these people in Jerusalem, it was at a time whenever there were people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, all the nations of the earth were in Jerusalem for a pilgrimage feast. So when God pours out the Holy Spirit on the disciples, they begin praising God in languages that they themselves do not know. They don't even know what they're saying, but they're praising God in intelligible languages of people who were in Jerusalem on that day that weren't there two months ago. And what ends up happening is this gospel is then shared back in their home countries. So they heard the gospel in a foreign country and brought it back through God's means of giving language to the people. So what God used to preserve the human race by dispersing them, he's now using to bring them back in. God now takes language and brings the people back in through the gift of tongues. Stephen Bohr did a series on this a few years ago at GYC and mentioned that, I didn't know this part, that where the Holy Spirit was poured out in the book of Acts, each of those places are metropolitan areas where people were coming and going through. Ephesus is one of them, and Corinth, I think, was another. That each instance where you see people speaking in tongues and the outpouring of the Spirit in the book of Acts are these huge transit areas that people are coming from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That's why. Lastly, in Revelation chapter 20 and 21, God himself comes down. There's actually another movement by a city called Babylon, right? That's trying to take heaven by storm, very similar to Genesis chapter 11. And at this point in time, God puts an end to the rebellion for good, and there's no need of any further languages at this point. Now, if you think this through, that means that the only reason why other languages exist was for the preservation and redemption of humanity. That means that the majority of the people in this room do, and I'll phrase it this way, the majority of the people in this room do not know more than one language and the gospel just because it's a cultural thing, because their family knew that language, or just because they traveled a country. You said you went to Germany. Did you learn another language there, I reckon? Yeah. They, they, they do German in Germany. How about that? Yeah. So that, there's reasons for this. God in his providence has given you a gift that I don't have. There is something that you can do for the kingdom of heaven that I can't do, that many other people cannot do. And I think that it's, we're selling ourselves short big time if we don't take hold of this thing and use it, and use it now. God's intention for language was not for culture. It wasn't for anything apart from saving human beings for eternity. That's it. I don't think you realize how valuable you are to the advancement of the kingdom of heaven in having that gift. Amen. You are such a precious gift to Jesus. Please use it for him. I, I'm working my guts out to learn Spanish, to do what I can, because God's given me, and if God has given you a burden to learn a language, but you haven't done it yet, please follow mm -hmm. through with that. <clears throat> the Bible exists in most of these languages. You have the burden, you have the language. There are people of that language group in this country, and maybe even your community, that could benefit from your involvement. Yeah. So please, I beg of you on behalf of Christ, don't let that mm. thing sit on the shelf any longer. Amen. Do not hide that within the borders of your homes. Use it, I pray. Um, 
Can I mention one thing about the language? As you are searching to try to understand what language should I learn, if you don't speak one or you want to learn another one, consider looking at joshuaproject.org. Joshuaproject.org breaks down the people groups of the entire world and shows you, that's where I get most of my statistics, like how many people in Somalia are Christians and how many are here. You can find out all of that at joshuaproject.org and begin to say, Lord, put it on my heart. Now, if God is leading you to ministry where you're surrounded by a bunch of Spanish-speaking people, great. But the vast majority of us should be learning something like Arabic where there are millions of people, as Elder Homer Chakartan was sharing, he is needing right now people who can speak Arabic to enter places that there are absolutely no Christians that can share the gospel. There is an app that has come to my attention about a year ago called Duolingo. How many people have heard of this app? D-U-O-L-I-N-G-O. It's like Rosetta Stone, but even better. You know why? It's free. <laughs> and they're adding languages to it all the time. I don't remember how many they have right now, but common languages that are being spoken in this country are available. I think there's Russian, Spanish, French, and others. Um, Good resources like this do exist. Here's my recommendation. Buy a parallel Bible. That's what I did. I've read the Bible through and twice now in Spanish, trying to learn the language cover to cover. Just read the Bible and use both columns. Start informing yourself in the jargon. And you would be amazed at how gracious people are of other cultures when you don't know their language. When I started doing outreach with my, um, with my local church, some friends of mine from Mexico was knocking on doors. I had this slip of paper. I'm this you know, kid who doesn't even speak Spanish. Not much, at least. With a piece of paper on their doorstep, I knocked on the door, and I read the piece of paper on the slip, being a fool for Christ at their door. And they were the most gracious people I had ever met. Because I'm a Bible worker. When I knock on Americans' doors, I don't get that. But when I knocked on Hispanic doors, they were so gracious. I would tell them, I'm sorry, I don't speak very good Spanish. I would say that in Spanish. And you know what the response was most of the time? That's okay. I don't speak English. <laughs> and like immediately there was commonality, no pressure, and they were open. Most of many other cultures are open. Um, these are the type of opportunities that I found uh, in doing ministry uh, with the organization I was with. How many people were, uh, remember the DREAM Act when that came out in 2012, where the Obama administration gave a small window of opportunity for people who were brought here as children illegally who could gain citizenship, to be able to get scholarships and other things in 2012, the DREAM Act. Anybody remember hearing about that in the news? So on the left, in my office, we found a local lawyer who was working in immigration matters, and she was willing to come for free to donate her time to teach our clients, the Hispanic community, migrant workers and so on, how to fill out their paperwork appropriately for the DREAM Act. Using your church, using other buildings for things like this, for acts of benevolence, for ways to train people to get better uh, situations for their livelihood. This is the other one. Um, I used to work in emergency management and public safety, and I went to the local university uh, through the organization I was working with and went to one of the people running the International Student Department, helping people get acclimated. In this room, this is actually a church, an old church on the campus, are 200 Arabic speakers. They're learning English as a second language. They're new to our country. Most of them are from Saudi Arabia, a closed country. <clears throat> and I was teaching their family basic principles and how to provide for themselves and how to prepare for natural disasters that they don't have in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and it was a wonderful opportunity. I had one of my interpreters with me. Her name was Nibal Hindi. Um, she was interpreting for me in Arabic, finding ways to just do public presentations to help them get acclimated to the country. Just like what she was mentioning earlier, I helped them with these basic needs. 
Another thing we were doing was giving English as a second language classes, ESL classes. There were other classes that existed in our community, so you know what we did? We did ours in hours when they didn't have something going on. And most of the ESL students will go to as much as they can possibly get. How many people have been to a foreign country where they didn't know the language? Do you know how crippling it is? Like, you don't even know how to ask for a bathroom. You don't know where to get food. Like, we're vegetarians, most of us. Like, how do you even deal with that one, right? Unless you're Spanish. It's, like, or, it's really, really difficult to get acclimated in these types of settings. Helping people through that process to get command of the language. It meant so much to those people. The guy Ali I was talking about in our previous seminar, it meant so much to him that his wife, and, uh, particularly his wife, but his little boys too, could start to learn English for themselves because international college students who bring their families, most of the time the student knows English, but the families don't. So they've got their mother, their father here, they've got their wife, they have their kids. And when you're in this situation, you, uh, the, the international college student is their family's only way to function in America. Well, what do you do whenever their family member is a graduate student is in school for eight hours a day? What do you do when you need to go to the doctor? What do you do when you need to buy groceries? People who know the language can help them in this process and to help them learn English. The last thing we did was we did the New Start program in Spanish in a trailer park that was predominantly poor and Hispanic. We showed up, we made, um, I was going to say veggie burritos, not veggie burritos, um, tamales. We made vegetarian tamales and other things for them, fresh fruit and took them all through the New Start program, checked their vitals, taught them health principles and sustainable health principles. And it meant the world to them. They, they couldn't believe that someone would do that for them, to feed them, to teach them basic principles and how to take care of themselves, prevention type medicine and so on, uh, was such a gift that we could give to the community. So there's lots of options. It just takes talking to your church and realizing a need and then actually going forward with it. And if it takes being a Jonathan, that you're going to go by yourself because God will be with you, you would be amazed at what God will do. But do something. We mentioned two seminars ago that there was a sermon that David Ashick preached at GYC in 2003 called Stir What You Got. And in that uh, sermon was a line that's never left me. He said, the, the greatest enemy of present action is future ambition. Someday I'll do something for the Lord. Well, the problem is most of the time when we make commitments like that, someday doesn't come. Because other things come up. Hey, I get married, then I have kids, I got college debt, I got other things. Take opportunities to invest now. Tons of opportunities exist for you. Scott has some more uh, things that he has done in his time as ministry, but I'll let him finish uh, handing out the handouts in the back. But is this making sense so far? How many people have come to realize now that maybe this language thing is more than what they thought it was and have a desire to do something about it? How many people are starting to recognize that? I hope more of us... That if you do know more than one language, I beg of you and implore you on behalf of Christ, use it for the kingdom. That's the only reason it exists. It wasn't to live and die in your home. It's meant to change the world. Please use it. Please. Go ahead, Scott. There's lots more examples of ministry beginning to happen out there. They're tiny little places. They're like little bright lights across North America and around the world. But we need to see many, many more of them. Um, this is a man in San Diego. And he has just looked around his church and realized there's just so many people from all over the world. So he began to encourage his church to gather food from different places that were throwing food out and then to begin giving it away. They were doing it specifically among the Laotian people. 
And then the Bhutanese said, what about us? And it grew and it grew until now they have this huge ministry out of the Paradise Valley Church there. And they took the mountainside and behind the church and turned it into this terrace place for growing vegetables. Um, I have friends who live in New York. The husband's an engineer. But in the night times, he goes and fixes broken pipes under refugees' little trailers where the frozen water is broken and they don't know what to do. Um, the wife has opened her home. There are two young men living in her home now who were without parents as refugees who came here. They're now part of the family. There's just so many different ways. This is from Shirley's Church where the Sabbath schools are happening and reaching out. And many times all you have to do, if you go to our site, reachtheworldnextdoor.com, you can find many questions to ask to make a friendship and a lot more ideas on what to do to reach out. But one of the easiest is simply to find out if there's a refugee resettlement place in your area and ask them, can you volunteer? Will they train you? And they will show you how you can go to the airport, receive the refugee off of the plane, meet with them, take them to their home, show them how to use the hot water, the fridge, the various things. There's, there's a documentary, I can't remember the name, the movie that was made on it, Hollywood made a movie called The Good Lie. It's not all exactly what I would promote, but it helps you to feel what it's like to come and the adjustment and how much somebody can help and can care. We usually at Christmas time go and share um, gifts with refugees and tell them the story of Jesus and help them to understand Jesus himself was a refugee. A tiny, tender age, his parents picked him up. They fled from a murderous king. They traveled to a foreign country. They had to live and grow up as migrant foreigners. Jesus understands. And if you will begin looking through the Bible, you will find so much migration, so much happening, so much traveling. And that's why Jesus would say in Leviticus 19, 33 and 34, you must love the refugee as you love yourself. You must treat them. They must be the same law for you as there is for them. So should governments receive refugees? That's a whole other subject. If they do choose to receive refugees, the laws should be the same. The same kind of equal care and the equal requirements. But yes, the Bible tells us, love them as you would love yourself. Care for them. It is so difficult to adjust. And here's where we have seen so beautifully in the last seven years this 70 to 100,000 people have come from the country of Myanmar just in seven years. Pastor Jimmy Sui, who I knew in Thailand, came here as well, not as a refugee, but as an immigrant, recognizing somebody needed to reach out to them because thousands of them were Seventh-day Adventists who'd come to Christ either in Myanmar or the camps. And as he has traveled from place to place, partnering with churches like Shirley's, um, and has talked to the people, there are now 45 worshiping Korean groups around this country Amen. in seven years. Um, we have a work to do, and God is going to lead and use us in it. Um, yeah, I think I'll stop there. We are almost out of time. We want to pray with you, but there is something important we'd like to invite you to do. And so if you weren't here yet and haven't received one of these, we'd like, would somebody help me pass these out to you? Just pass out these cards. This is an action card that we're encouraging people at every single one of the sessions to, to fill out. Um, maybe you can go halfway back and on both sides. Thank you. 
And simply, we're inviting you to make a friend, one friend in the next six months of another religion, another culture. You think you could do that? Um, if you want to, check off that first one. The second one says, I will pray for the world next door for at least 30 days. At reachtheworldnextdoor.com, there's a prayer guide that gives you statistics and things to pray for. So you might call together a prayer group at church, take prayer meeting and give it some solid purpose towards finishing the gospel. Or number three, the, second, the third one there, to pick up the kit that we have. We have a box full at, at our ASAP Ministries booth. If you really want to go and lead a group at your church or your family or your university to do something, then let us know, check that one, and I would be happy to share one with you freely if you want to do that. Otherwise, you can order them online and think about it. And the final one is a podcast that I do weekly called Reach the World ASAP. If you would like that, put your name and an email address. You want to tell them about that? In the back of the room, there's a box on one of the chairs there. In that box are these little business card-looking things, and it says, My Language, My Life. This is a website that's been put together that has... Bible study resources, sermons, and other things in a hundred different languages, all located in one website, sorted by language. So if you know people who you think, I don't know how to share the Bible with them because I don't speak their language, there's a decent chance that their language is on this website. Take some of those cards with you and share them with those folks. Uh, When outreach happens tomorrow, there'll be more of those cards provided as well. But take advantage of this. If you're wanting to learn one of those languages, start going through the Bible studies. What better way to learn than to get a Bible in that language, a parallel Bible, and to start going through the Bible studies yourself in that language. Start acclimating yourself. With, Don't you think God would bless that? With that refugee. Yeah, go Not ahead. by yourself, but with that refugee, yeah. say, would you like to learn some English? I'd like to learn some Punjabi. Yeah. I'm thinking of Punjabi because on Monday I dropped my parents off at the airport. I went to get some gas. I ran inside, it was starting to sleet, it was icy, and I saw a man with a turban. And I thought, I wonder if he's from India. And I said, do you speak Punjabi? Because I didn't have time, I was running in and out. And he said, yes. And I said, there's Punjabi on this card. And I ran out the door. Now, now that's not the typical way I do it. I usually take time to get acquainted, the steps we talked about last session. And then I say, you know what, it's been so good to talk to you. If you want to learn more, your language is on this card. Just Mm -hmm. look up the website, find the map, Click on Punjabi, and you'll find something there. So you can do that while you're here. We did that just, um, you can do it with the people cleaning your rooms. It's actually a great way to do that because you're wanting to learn their language and you're wanting to learn to share the gospel in their language, so you're not being shady and asking them to read the Bible with you. Like, this is what you're wanting to do, and they know the language. If they're willing to say yes, let them. You'd be amazed at what God can do. His word does not return to him void. Give him a chance. Okay. The ones that we have for you in the back, in that box next to my wife, Julie, are, have the lo- a local pastor's phone number. So these are especially for Louisville, for you to share around where you are now and tomorrow. We can send some home with you that, are, that have nothing on the bank, back blank. We'll have a bunch of those available as well. In, so if you fill this out, if you're ready to do that, just leave it on where you're sitting. And we'll pick it up during the break. If you're still thinking about it and you're coming back next session, you can... You can do that. In the next session, we are going to be looking at the three angels' messages and the 144,000 and asking, what do we have to say, especially for Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, Jews, etc.? How does it connect with them, or is that only for Protestants and Catholics? Hmm. We're going to look at what about the lifestyle of the 144,000? What about this Seventh-day Adventism that we have? 
Is it really attractive to those out there? In what way? And how can we possibly live in a way that is 144,000 ways that are attractive to world religions? So let's stand and pray together and then hope to see you in just a few minutes. Father in heaven, you yourself have chosen this migration pattern. And though you do not want any of the suffering that they are going through, you are using the attacks of the enemy and the destruction of selfishness and sin to be a means of reaching them with the love that you have so passionately for them. You've asked us to love them as we love ourselves, and we certainly have not. Lord, we beg your forgiveness for being negligent, for not even caring, for being too busy with what we do. And we ask that you would please change us and let us take up the mandate of Isaiah 58 to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed press go free, and that you break every yoke, to share our bread with the hungry, to bring the stranger that is cast out into our homes. Lord, please help us to live out your love for the refugees wherever we are. Help each person here to in some way extend your love and your care to those of other nations. And through this, may the gospel be carried to every corner of the earth and Jesus return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.